Welcome to Huntersville Lutheran Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at huntersvillelc.com. Thank you for joining us today. May of 1997, a, a church was filled with grieving people, myself included. It was the funeral for Irvin, and Irvin was my grandfather. Uh, the church was filled with, with people whose, whose cheeks were stained with tears, whose hearts, were, whose hearts were torn in two by grief, because my grandmother had lost her husband, my mother had lost her father, my brothers and I, and we had lost our, our grandfather. But even as a child, I, I understood that, that as I grieved, it was, it was a different kind of grief, because I knew that Jesus lived, and he died, and he rose again for Irvin, and that meant that meant that I was going to see my grandpa again. May of, of 2016, a church was filled with grieving people, myself included. It was the funeral for Peggy, and Peggy was my grandmother. And as, I, as I stood in the pulpit and looked out, I could see my grandmother lying in state, and I could look out at all the people, and I could see cheeks that were stained with tears and, and hearts that were, were torn in two by grief because, because my aunt and my mother had lost their mother. Great aunts and uncles had lost their sister, cousins, and my brothers and I, we lost our grandmother. But that same truth that dried my eyes when I was a child was the truth that I got to proclaim to everyone who was in the church that day, that Jesus lived and he died and he rose again for Peggy. So that meant for me and for everybody else in that church that day that they will see Peggy again. You've all lost your, your Peggy's and your Irvin's in this life. You've all had cheeks that are stained with tears. You've all had hearts that are torn in two by grief. And for each and every one of you, that grief is, is there, but it's a different kind of grief because you don't grieve like the world grieves. You grieve differently. You grieve with hope. You grieve with the promise of the resurrection because for each of those loved ones who died in faith, the resurrection promises you that you will see them again. For the Christian, for every Christian, the resurrection from the dead is the beating heart of their faith. It is the one thing that makes a difference. It gives your life meaning and purpose. It gives your faith hope. It gives every struggle and hardship that you have in this life a, a sense that it's all worth it at the end of the day. And it's the one promise that tells you without a shadow of a doubt that you will be reunited with your loved ones when you are taken home to be with your God. This is the promise and the beauty and the majesty of the resurrection. But, but the resurrection is also... It's also one of the things that causes people to be incredulous toward Christianity. It's probably one of, if not the most unbelievable thing, in fact, about Christianity. And I want you to stop and think about why that is this morning. Uh, one of the reasons is because people have a really hard time believing what they can't see. And right there aren't any 21st century witnesses who have, who have died and who have risen from the dead and who have come back and said, this is exactly what it's like, guys. You should probably believe in this because it's all worth it. People refuse to believe what they can't see, and, and there's no logical or empirical proof from somebody like, like me or from somebody sitting in the back of church that says, this is what it is. And so for people, it's easier to believe that there is no life after death. It's easier for people to believe that than to believe that there is a resurrection from the dead and to believe that there is a God who can actually truly raise people from the dead. And when you don't believe that there's life after death, when you don't believe in a resurrection from the dead or, or a God who can really and truly raise the dead, then what are you left with? You're left with your sole focus of your life being on the here and the now, chasing whatever makes you feel good, the pursuit of pleasures and enjoying those pleasures. 
disbelief and incredulity toward the resurrection is nothing new, right? It's been around for centuries. In fact, it was even around before Jesus died and rose again. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus encounters this, this group of people who, who deny the existence of the resurrection. It's uh, this group called the Sadducees. They're a group we don't hear about as often in the Gospels, but they still play a pretty significant role in the Gospels, especially with an account like this. So the Sadducees, they were, they were like the, the ultra-liberals of Jesus' day, the ultra-liberal religious leaders. They cared more about, about the here and the now and progressing in this life, the, the pursuit of pleasures. They were kind of from the, the wealthy upper crust of Jerusalem society, and they had long been in bed with the, the Romans who were, who were kind of in charge and watching over Jerusalem. And because they were in bed with the Romans, they would do just about whatever they could to make themselves better while throwing their fellow countrymen under the bus. They didn't really care. Because they were liberal, and especially theologically liberal, they, did, they denied things like the resurrection. They denied things like the existence of angels. And the only books that they saw as the source, of, source and norm of truth were the first five books of the Bible, what you call the Pentateuch. And so when they came in, they, they encountered Jesus that day, they came with a very singular purpose. They wanted to show how ridiculous the resurrection from the dead was with a situation and a question. Because to them... Why would somebody walk around preaching and teaching the resurrection if it doesn't happen at all? So let's trap this guy, Jesus. This whole situation, that the, and it's a ridiculous situation, that the Sadducees propose is based on an Old Testament law written in the book of Deuteronomy called the Leveret Law. Now, the Leveret Law said that when a man dies and he doesn't leave behind a male child, but he has brothers, one of those brothers is to go and marry his wife and to produce a male child. And then that male child was to take on the name of his father and he was to be the heir of the estate. Moses put this, this law into place to prevent any names from, Israel, from being blotted out in Israel's history. It was put into place to protect widows. It was put into place so that widows wouldn't be abandoned after their husband died and so that they could maintain the property that their, that their deceased husband worked so hard to, to grow and to cultivate the way, that, the way in which they provided for their families. So this is the situation that the Sadducees proposed to Jesus. They say, now, now teacher, and this is very derogatory because they didn't see any value in what, the Sadducees didn't see any value in what Jesus was doing. Now, teacher, now teacher, let's say, uh, let's say a man dies and he doesn't leave behind a child, but he leaves behind a wife. And this guy has seven brothers. So the first brother, he goes and he marries the wife, but he dies just like the brother did. And so the second one, he goes and takes the wife, but he doesn't leave behind a child and he dies. And the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh, all of them marry this, this woman and all of them die leaving behind a child. Now, Jesus, at the resurrection from the dead, whose wife is she? Because there were seven of them, eight if you include the husband, the original one. Whose wife is she? Oh, the Sadducees, they thought they had Jesus completely stumped and stuck. They thought they had found the one logical flaw in the resurrection, right? Because Jesus, this, your law says that a wife is to only have one husband, but, but here throughout this leveret law, and because of this leveret law, she has married seven others. And so now with the resurrection from the dead, she's got eight husbands. So Jesus, this makes no sense because the resurrection goes against everything that you are saying, everything that your God says. But these Sadducees, they, they made one fatal flaw. In the, there was one fatal flaw in the argument that they presented to Jesus. And it's not just that they didn't believe in the resurrection. It was that their whole argument was based on a, on a single assumption. And you and I both know how dangerous assumptions can be. Their assumption was, that life in heaven was going to be exactly the same as life on earth. 
Now, you and I, we encounter in our, in, our, in our daily lives people who are like the Sadducees, people who deny the resurrection or who are skeptical of the resurrection or, or even create their own ideas of what, if there is life after death, what that's going to be like. And I sometimes wonder as Christians, Christians who believe and who cling to the hope and the promise of the resurrection, if, if we're sometimes affected and affected very deeply by what they say, if those things don't skew the way in which we look at the resurrection. I guess maybe let me, let me boil that down and say it another way. I wonder if you and I always live like the realities of the resurrection that scripture paints are actually true. We hear all kinds of descriptions of what heaven is going to be like. Take, uh, take that gathering right that we had from Revelation chapter 7 this morning. We hear that we're going to be surrounding the throne of God and worshiping him day and night in his temple. And sometimes we step back and we kind of when we wonder, do we really want to spend an eternity in a church service? Right? I've heard that before. I thought that as a kid. This seems like kind of a boring way to spend time in heaven, an eternity at church. We, you and I, we, we marvel at and, and we treasure all of the blessings that God has given us in this life. The, the blessings of, of relationship, of marriage, of kids, of friendships, of a career and hobbies and possessions. And we love these things and we never want to lose them. But we know that scripture says that eventually we, we will lose them in death. But we want to keep them around and we want these things to all be in heaven with us. And so, so by extension, that desire to keep all of these things around means that we want, in a way, for heaven to be just like it is on earth. When these thoughts start to, to creep in and start to skew our, our, our version of what the, the resurrection is actually going to be like, Jesus needs to reorient the reality of the resurrection in our hearts. Because if this is what your focus is, if your focus is on, on what you have in this life or the relationships that you have in this life or, or that life in heaven is going to be like this, Jesus says to us this morning that, that you're totally missing the point and you're focusing on completely the wrong thing. And this is what he had to show the Sadducees. When these Sadducees showed up with this incredulous situation to show how incredulous the resurrection was to them, do you know what Jesus does? He doesn't even address the situation. He doesn't even answer the question. Instead, he uses this crazy situation that the Sadducees propose as a springboard to actually talk about what the real and true focus is of the resurrection, about the relationship that lasts for an eternity, about God's relationship with his children. I mean, after all, listen, listen to how Jesus talks about this. He says, he says uh, people of this age, they are married and they are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of sharing in the age to come, and in the resurrection from the dead, they will neither be married or, nor will they be given in marriage. For they will be like angels and they can never die. They are all sons of God since they are sons of the resurrection. The one thing that the Sadducees missed in presenting this whole argument to Jesus was, was that they thought life, was go, life in heaven was going to be exactly like it was on earth. That they were going to have the relationships, that they were going to have the possessions. And this is why they showed Jesus, well, this is all just ridiculous. But in fact, marriage, marriage was something created by God for the pinnacle of his creation, for Adam and Eve. God gave Adam and Eve marriage as a symbol of the relationship that God holds with his bride, the church. God gave Adam and Eve marriage so that they would not walk alone in this life. God gave Adam and Eve marriage so they could fulfill the command to be fruitful and increase in number and multiply. But things in heaven are going to be different. They have to be different than what they're like here on earth. And we want them to be different, don't we? I mean, because, because just think of your, your life from this past week. Think of how broken and messy it all is. 
Think about how now your, your body is, is weaker and worse off than it was at the start of this sermon. Think about how every relationship that you have, be it a, to a spouse or a friend or a brother or sister, is one sinful step away from being completely shattered. Even our relationship with God on a daily basis is marred and mangled by the sinfulness that you and I carry around. So what do you want heaven to be like? Do you want it to be like your life here on earth that's marred and mangled and broken or or do you want it to be different? The truth is, we want it to be different and we need it to be different and we long for it to be different. And the reason that we long for heaven to be different than it is here on earth is because that longing is impregnated in our hearts by the fact that life on this earth is not the way that it's supposed to be. Stuff is not supposed to be broken and marred and mangled and messy like it is. And the whole reason that that longing is there is because God over and over again promises us time and again that life in the resurrection from the dead will be different. Jesus says those who, are, those who are considered worthy of sharing in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead, that is the, the people who put their faith and their trust and their hope in the God who took on flesh and blood and lived for them, who died to forgive all of their sins and rose to give them life that knows no end. Jesus says those who are considered worthy of the resurrection from the dead, they will never die. This is exactly what your baptism promises you. Your baptism is the seal of God's resurrection reality for you. In your baptism, God places his name on you and he says, I am yours and you are mine forever. Amen. There is nothing that can separate you from the love that I hold for you. And one day I will make good on this promise. The day that I bring you home because your sinful nature, your old man was buried with Christ in his death, in your baptism and the resurrection, you are connected to to Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. This means that you will never die. You will never die because you are connected to God. You are God's son and God's daughter. And because you are God's son and daughter, this means that you are a son and a daughter of the resurrection. Your baptism means for you that your relationship with God has been righted and that all of the brokenness that you experience in this life, all of the hurt and the hardship, it will one day come to an end when God brings you home. And it's on that day where death, the ultimate consequence of sin, well, it will no longer touch any of God's people. It will no longer be the reality, but it will be a long forgotten and faded memory. But how can you know all of this to be true? How could Jesus stand there and tell these Sadducees, this is the reality? This is the focal point of the resurrection. Well, what he does for the Sadducees, he, he does for us this morning too. He takes the Sadducees back to the one place that you can trust to be the, the source and the norm of truth, to the holy and powerful word of God. And Jesus, in proving the reality of the resurrection from the word of God, he takes these Sadducees to a very surprising place. He doesn't go to one of the prophets like Isaiah chapter 65 that we read today, this beautiful description of the new heavens and new earth. No, instead he goes back to, to the book of Exodus. And he goes back to Moses, the one guy that the Sadducees trusted to be the source of truth and of life for them. And Jesus says, even Moses showed that the dead rise in the account of the burning bush when he says, the Lord is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had lived 
had lived hundreds of years and died hundreds of years before Moses was ever born. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had faded into the consciousness of history by the time that Moses ever encountered the Lord at the burning bush. And if the, re- the re- if the resurrection weren't true, if the resurrection weren't a reality, then Moses, he wouldn't, have called, he wouldn't have called the Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He would have called him the Lord of the dead. And if God is the, if God, is the God of the dead, then there is no resurrection. And if there's no resurrection, then there's no reason to cling to Christianity. And if you have no reason to cling to Christianity, then all you have to do, the only purpose for you in this life, is to focus on the here and now and to pursue the pleasures and passions of this life, just like the Sadducees did. But God is not the God of the dead. And by this profound, simply profound statement that Moses made, that the Lord is the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he's saying that the resurrection is a reality. And this simply, this simply profound statement gives your faith meaning. It gives you hope to move on in your life. It assuages any doubt and worry and concern that you might have about about the reality of the resurrection because by calling God the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he is saying that God is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living and all live in him. All along, Jesus has been talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the commoners that he's healed and given forgiveness and to you and me this morning. All along, Jesus has made it clear that the reason he can teach and preach with such authority is because he has been given this authority from his Father in heaven and that he is the Son of God and he is the Messiah who took on flesh and blood. And so right here in front of these Sadducees and into our hearts this morning, Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, I am the resurrection and the life and you will live even though you die. I am the God of the living, Jesus says. And this includes men like Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, who lived thousands of years before Jesus ever walked this earth. God is the God, the living God, of men and women who are living. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they weren't living because they were such good people. They weren't living because they were such exemplary characters of faith. They were living because they had one relationship that matters, one relationship that lasts to eternity. They had an eternal relationship with God the Father, the God of the living. This is the focal point. This is the focal point of the resurrection, is it not? And what doesn't matter in the resurrection, the possessions that you own in this life, it doesn't matter even the relationships that you have in this life. What matters is one relationship. One relationship that lasts eternally. The relationship that you hold on to by faith in your God, the God of the living. And because God is the God of the living, He's the God of Peggy, and of Irvin, and of Fran, and of Jerry, and of every loved one that you have ever lost who has died in faith, clinging to that relationship. And you know what that promises you? That promises you that you will see every one of those loved ones again, because you have been given the privilege of that same relationship given to you through word and through the sacrament. That relationship that you cling to. The relationship that lasts eternally. God grant that this focus and this relationship always be the central beating heart of your faith. Amen.